Lord Jesus, you are the victor. You are the king. And you have accomplished our salvation. Through faith in you, we have that certainty. Help us today to understand what it means to be the church alive for spiritual warfare in the heritage of Martin Luther. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace to you. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And a blessed Reformation Sunday to you all. That hymn that we just sang, written by Martin Luther himself, is based, of course, on Psalm 46, our Old Testament reading for today, and is often referred to as the battle hymn of the Reformation. Clearly, those words that Martin Luther wrote speak of spiritual warfare. Whatever else may be said about the Reformation of the Church in the 16th century, this stands true. The Reformation was about spiritual warfare. That is a battle for the souls of people and a battle for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the saving message of his love. As such, it was a battle taking place not merely on an earthly level, but rather also on a level that involves what St. Paul calls spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. As you know, we've been in a sermon series for these last five Sundays called Church Alive. We talked about what it means to be the church alive as one body, the church alive in worship, the church alive in ministry, and last week, the church alive for good and making a difference in the world. Today, we're talking about the church being alive for spiritual warfare. The text, of course, is today's epistle lesson from Ephesians chapter 6 that we'll be exploring more in depth. In verse 12, St. Paul says it this way, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This battle is not against other people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, Martin Luther came to understand this spiritual battle all too well himself. But in the very early part of his life, he really felt that the battle was between himself and God. In his lack of understanding of the truth of the gospel, Luther grew up afraid of God. In fact, he even hated God. Because the way he understood God in his early days was God was a harsh judge who was ready to condemn and send him to hell. So he hated God for his wrath. Luther's inner struggles led him to enter this monastery in Erfurt, Germany. There he thought he could find some solution to his inner struggle and the walls that he felt that locked him in to God's wrath. There he thought he would find peace and inner relief from his fear of the wrath of God as he intermingled with the other monks at that monastery. And in the next picture, we see his room where he would spend hours and hours trying to make himself right with God through his own disciplines and his acts of self 
deprivation. If we show the next picture, it's his actual room where he would spend hours on his knees thinking that by spending all that time punishing himself, he would make himself right with God. He would spend six hours in the confessional trying to confess all of his sins to the point where his father confessor, John Stoppard, said, Luther, go back to your room until you have something really to confess. (laughs) His very wise father confessor, John Stoppitz decided to send Luther to the University of Wittenberg to teach theology, thinking that that would set him on a path of freedom. He went to Wittenberg, and the next picture shows the building that he lived in, which at that time was a monastery in Wittenberg, located just a few blocks from the university campus. It was during this time that Martin Luther was professor at the University of Wittenberg, that he heard about a Dominican friar by the name of John Tetzel who was coming into the town of Wittenberg selling pieces of paper called indulgences. Indulgences were blessed by the Pope and promised release from purgatory for yourself and for your dead relatives, purgatory being the supposed holding place between heaven and hell. The next picture shows an actual indulgence that is on display in that building, which is now the largest Luther and Reformation museum in the world. That's what an indulgence looked like, written in Latin. And people would pay money for these pieces of paper, thinking that they could set themselves and their relatives free from purgatory by buying this piece of paper blessed by the Pope. And so people purchased indulgences by dropping their coins into a coffer like this one. John Tetzel had a little jingle that he would say or sing. When the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And of course the money went to pay for the building of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and the paying off of the personal debts of one of the archbishops. Well, this didn't settle well with Martin Luther, and as he studied the scriptures, he became convinced that this practice of indulgences was indeed wrong. And this, of course, led Luther to write his now well-known 95 Theses, Statements of Objection to Indulgences. This is an actual uh, original set of his 95 Theses. You know, in those days, it was common practice for scholars of the university to post their scholarly documents for discussion and debate on the doors of the church in town. And so on October 31st, 501 years ago, 1517, Martin Luther made his way to the other end of the city, to the castle church. And he walked up to the church and nailed his 95 theses to the church doors. And that event that he thought was simply open up dialogue, that event would be the spark that would ignite the Lutheran Reformation. This next picture shows what the doors look like today. They have the, 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 the original wooden doors are long gone. These are bronze doors that now have the 95 theses engraved on them. Well, back in his study on the other end of town, Luther continued to immerse himself in the scriptures, 
wanting to have a deeper understanding of what God had to say in his word. He had to prepare sermons to preach on Sunday as a parish priest in town. He had to prepare lectures for his theology students at the university. And in the course of his studies, in his study on the second floor just off of that center tower there, one day he had what he called his tower experience. He was reading from Romans chapter 1. And in the course of reading that passage and other passages, including from the Psalms, Martin Luther finally discovered the meaning of the gospel. He discovered that God gives us Christ's righteousness through faith in him as our Savior. That righteousness, the righteousness of God, is not the threat of God's wrath. Rather, the righteousness of God is his gift to us in Christ by which we are declared righteous in God's sight through faith. And once he understood that, he began to write about it. And he kept writing, and he kept writing. And then Luther made use of the latest technology available to him, Johann Gutenberg's printing press with movable type. This is uh, in the Gutenberg Museum in Mainz, Germany. He made use of that to enable other people to read and understand these teachings that were based on God's word. And as he published and published and produced and mass produced his documents, Martin Luther began encountering greater and greater levels of opposition. Opposition from the Pope himself and from other church leaders who tried to convince Martin Luther to stop writing and take back everything that he had said. The spiritual battle was underway. And this spiritual battle for the gospel came to a head in the city of Worms, Germany. Luther was called to appear in front of the emperor Charles V himself and was told under threat of death to retract his writings. And he refused. He refused saying, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Martin Luther was so encaptured by the gospel message of Jesus that had set him free from fear. How could he possibly retract any of that? Today in the city of Worms, the building where the diet was held is no longer there. But at the location where Luther took his bold stand for the truth, a sculptor has placed these Shoes. And pilgrims like yours truly are invited to step into those shoes and say, along with Luther, Here I stand. Here I stand. How about you? You know, deep down in our hearts, we all know there's a spiritual battle going on today. We know, like Luther knew, that there are forces of evil seeking to take people down. And those forces aren't people themselves. They're the invisible forces of Satan's army. You see, the evil one and his evil angels are, are at work constantly, seeking to control the souls of people. I mean, after all, what would lead someone to shoot worshipers in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. 
It's beyond comprehension. The battle is on for the souls of people. Don't we all sense a growing secularism in our nation that openly opposes Christianity left and right? But you know, even beyond that, it's even more personal than that. It's even more personal than that. If I'm really honest about things, I see it in my own life, a spiritual battle going on within me. Luther was right, of course. We've we've battled three different enemies all at once. We battle the devil, for sure. We battle the world around us that would want to influence us against God. But we also battle our own sinful nature, what Luther called the flesh. Now, to be sure, of course, yes, I, like you, are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is our assurance. That is our source of certainty about the future. We know that we are on our way to heaven. But friends, the battle continues. It continues daily. And I assume that you sense it too within yourself. Temptations come your way as surely as they come my way. It's all too easy to slip into the wrong kind of thinking, and from wrong thinking comes wrong behavior. It's all too easy to let the wrong kind of words come out of our mouth, words that we'd later perhaps regret dearly saying. It's all too easy to take that step, that little simple step that seems so innocent at first, in the wrong direction. And the battle is on for our souls. In Luther's hymn, he used the words, The old satanic foe has sworn to work us woe. He is relentlessly working to lead us into sin. And it happens sometimes even when we have our best intentions. I don't know, I dare say, don't raise your hands, but I dare say there's probably somebody here who had a fight on the way to church this morning. I'll admit it's happened to me in the past. Yeah. It's all too easy to have it happen. But the good news, of course, is that the battle is not ours to fight alone. The good news is that Jesus fought the ultimate battle for us, and he won. It was a battle that began in the Garden of Eden when the evil one tempted Adam and Eve. It's a battle that continued in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we heard in this morning's gospel reading, as Jesus battled for our sake. And it culminated at a cross where the Lord Jesus himself defeated the powers of Satan, sin, and hell once and for all. And as he rose from the dead, he demonstrated his victory over all that is evil. He gives us the assurance that through faith in him, we are forgiven of our sins and we are on our way to heaven. And as we hear the word, the gospel message, and as we receive the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, they reassure us that we are indeed forgiven of our sins, no matter what the devil throws at us. But the question is, yes, we're saved. The question is, how do we fight this battle? Because it's real. 
isn't it? St. Paul addresses this in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, where he says, first of all, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Friends, we dare not rely on our own power. We must rely on the power of God in Jesus Christ. In Luther's hymn concerning the devil, it says, No strength of ours can match his might, but now a champion comes to fight whom God himself elected, and that champion is Jesus. On this Reformation Sunday, we celebrate not so much what Martin Luther did, but what God did through him and others. But make no mistake, Luther was involved in the battle, and so are you and I. It's a very real battle today. And so Paul gives us some battle instructions. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 11, Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God, he says. Now, Paul would have been very familiar with the armor that was worn by Roman soldiers. Keep in mind, he's writing this letter from Rome. He is under house arrest. He sees Roman soldiers all the time. And being a Roman citizen, he would have great familiarity with things related to Roman armies. And so he uses Roman armor as an illustration of the spiritual armor that God wants us to put on and maintain. In Ephesians 6... Paul describes the pieces of our spiritual armor. Verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with, first of all, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. What truth? The truth of God's word. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth that sets us free. The truth that is centered in Jesus himself with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness. We've been declared righteous on account of our faith in Jesus Christ, and that protects our heart and our soul like a breastplate. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the gospel of peace, we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we are at peace, we are ready for anything that may come our way. He goes on, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Because we have saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we can extinguish any of Satan's attempts to accuse us and re-accuse us of past sins that have been forgiven. Because we have the shield of faith, we can thwart the temptations that come our way because our strength is in Jesus Christ. And then he says, take the helmet of salvation. See, knowing that you are saved guards your mind. It guards the way you think because you have the certainty that you are a child of God. And then he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This, the word of God, is the one offensive weapon in the armory. The sword of the spirit. The word of God that guides us. And then Paul's final instruction for the battle is simply this. Pray. 
the last verse, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Friends, we are the church alive today. And we are alive for spiritual warfare today. And our battle, keep in mind, is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the invisible forces of evil at work in the world. Five centuries ago, in the heat of the battle, Martin Luther took a stand. He took a stand for the truth of the gospel against forces that were way beyond human. The question for you today is, will you take a stand? Will you take a stand, first of all, against the evil one and his tempting ways? Will you take a stand for what is right? Will you take a stand for Jesus and the saving message of his death and resurrection that others, too, might be saved? On this Reformation Sunday, may we each make a commitment saying, Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus alone. Amen.